I want to get started with a question for all of you. So this is going to be a jump ball, uh, but I'd love to hear from each of you. And it's not my want to read a question, but this question requires reading because I really want to capture it. So I apologize for uh, reading off my cards. There's a lot of disruption in the industry and transformation is being driven by the ongoing digitization of consumer lives combined with the explosion of new technologies. From the incredible rise of streaming and entertainment to dramatic shifts in how people shop and travel, we've experienced a rate of change that is nothing like many of us have seen in our lifetimes. What has been both the biggest challenge and opportunity impacting your marketing and sales goals, and how have you responded to it? I think I could just leave now, because that question can keep <laughs> us going for, uh, for the session. But uh, please, uh, Tim, do you want to grab the first one? Sure. First of all, good morning, everybody. Thank you guys for getting up and, uh, and, and being here. We're all delighted to, to have this opportunity to be with you. I, I think for us as a service brand, uh, the answer to that question is how you bring to life in the hearts and minds of, for us, 90,000 employees in 60 countries, a willingness to go above and beyond on behalf of each of you as, as travelers. Hopefully, we have the privilege of, of serving you and you've had the opportunity to experience that firsthand. Unlike packaged goods or things where you have infinite control, uh, although I'm sure Connie will tell us the challenges too, uh, for us in a service business, it's how do you motivate, how do you inspire, how do you ensure people have the tools that they need? Because inherently, the folks who work at Delta Airlines are drawn to this idea that it's noble to serve other people, and we have a service-oriented culture. But nonetheless, when you have weather, when you have irregular operations, or you have some of the challenges that exist in the world, having that inspiration is, is, is an ongoing challenge every day. Jeremy? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for all of the Delta flights that I've been able to take. And uh, 2.2 million miles. I feel pretty good about that or sad about that. Hard and the to most say. recent upgrade. Hard to say. Yeah, thank yeah, you hard, for the most yeah, recent yeah, upgrade and, as well. And I'm flying home. Would you upgrade me, please? Um, the, <laughs> um, but I think same thing. So, uh, you know, coming to Netflix, I've been here about five months. So not that, not that new, as Michael says, but still feels new. Very similar in terms of creating lifestyle brand, making sure that people truly love and engage in the content is the most important thing for Netflix, for all, all of these services. The change that the industry that we're in is experiencing is a fairly obvious one to all of you, I'm sure, which is that there are just a lot more of them now. Uh, it was, you know, Netflix is 25 years old and has been delighting customers with content for a really long time. And now there's a lot more choice. So to exactly your point, it's how can we make it the most engaging and how can we make it somebody's favorite show in that certain moment? And I'll use my own self as an example here with my viewing habits, which are embarrassing and awesome at the same time. Uh, but is that um, I really liked Dahmer. I thought it was fascinating and amazing, but I also really like reality television. And I really like, you know, all these things in it. And it even though I'm the same customer, I'm a different person in different moments about what I want. And so delighting people that way is just really important. It's, it's interesting you say that, and then Connie, over to you, but what, what Netflix has reimagined for me is the documentary space. I mean, of course I love what I'm binging on, but you know, docs are not the kind of thing I went out of my way to be watching generally, and now I do. What's your favorite one? Oh gosh, um, the um, Andy Warhol. Oh, okay. was really special for me yeah. because I, I, it was something I was interested in and I really got a picture that I hadn't gotten before. I'm but, into the golf full swing one right now. Well, there you go. Seen it, watch it. <laughs> Connie, back to the first question. Thanks, uh, thanks Mike, and good morning everyone. Uh, thanks for the invite to be here. Um, and we, let me build a bit on what 
uh, uh, the other panelists have said. I think the, the most important challenge and opportunity for fast-moving consumer goods uh, that I'm a part of as, uh, uh, as I work in Unilever is probably the, probably the creative commerce revolution, I would call it. Um, and you've announced me as the chief digital and commercial officer. And often people have mistaken that by, oh, did Unilever as a big marketing company drop marketing from the title of one of the exec? And basically it isn't the case. So we've added sales to it. So, uh, and that's how it became commercial officer. And the reason for it is basically externally, as you said already, Michael, because of the convergence of entertainment, media, commerce, content. We basically said, yeah, if I sell something via Facebook, via Instagram, later on probably via Netflix, is that marketing or is that sales? Um, you can't really distinguish that anymore. So the blurring lines between marketing and sales internally to respond to what is happening externally meant that we needed to make a move. So basically what we've done is we have taken marketing and sales together to really make sure that we build brands and convert to sales at the same time with all the new channels that are developing. So, and I see you wanted to ask an additional well, question. Well, it, 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 it's, it's so interesting, <laughs> Connie, because I did a, a conversation for Forbes last uh, fall at, at, a, at a CMO conference, and the, the, I was interviewed, and the uh, question, the topic sentence was, what does the CEO not know about the role of the CMO? And I found that to be such an inspiring question because, to your point, sales, marketing, is it growth? And when you look at the title, you know, you wonder what, and you know, the two of you in, in chief marketing-ish roles, do in your case, do you think the CEO knows what your job is? <laughs> well, this I, is not a planned question no, for this conversation. Is this but you know, I live well, an unscripted life, so let's go. Here we go, uh, improvisation. So Alan Job is our CEO, and he's a former marketeer. So I'm blessed that a lot of the things that I do, he really knows about. On the other hand, what we have created in the company is to, uh, of course, my role is just one, but you want to replicate that in uh, the 190 countries that we operate in and the five divisions or business group that we operate in. So we've created what we now call DMCs, which is digital marketing, media and commerce hubs, where marketing, digital marketeers, commerce, media people all sit together and only recently, Alan said, Connie, I know the headline of it. I know the elevator speech, but do I really understand what these people are doing? How do you really win in search? What does it mean if you use artificial intelligence to create new innovations? And he said, let's do a deep dive. So I'm certain that the CEO knows a lot about marketing, about all the creative and media agencies we work with, with the digital revolution that has taken place. But does he really get the creative commerce revolution? Not so sure yet. Well, but there's there's stuff to do there. And Tim, what about you with with Ed? Uh, you know, having an eye, and I know he does. For, but yeah, so our, our CEO is Ed Bastian, and and I would say he totally understands it because it's the same dynamic that I mentioned earlier. Is actually all ninety thousand of our employees are, are marketing people. Every single person you interact with. And I'd also say what's fun about being here at South by Southwest is each of you in this audience are marketers for our brands because whether it's you sharing a social moment or the fact and the reality that our brands exist in your head and in your heart, it's what it is you're doing in your own social networks to 
share that. So I think increasingly brands are in many ways out of the hands of marketing people and into the hands and the hearts and the minds of, of people who are interacting with them. And again, back to a service business, that means human behavior that is inspired and, and that is heartfelt and authentic becomes that much more important. But I, I think Ed completely understands what we do for that reason. Great. Connie, I'm going to flip to you. Uh, you know, we're talking about putting stakes in the ground and you made a big one last year when you removed marketing from the title, but the end-to-end -end digital transformation, it, are you seeing it happen? Because I will say this personally, and I, I love to tell this fact, you know this, uh, when I started MediaLink, Unilever was client number one. And so I'm proud to say that we've been on a journey uh, together for a long time. And Unilever was always one of the more advanced digital thinkers in the, in the market even back to when we did that original digital journey 13 years ago and you know, changed the marketing landscape. But are you seeing it happen in practice at this point? Um, well, I think uh, you can never say that it has completely happened. So this world, and that's why I think we all love to work in it, it is everyday changing. So uh, I think the thing that we also do as uh, CMOs um, is to make sure the organization is set up for success in that space. and. Um, I would say that the setup that we've chosen is making it easier for us to be future fit, to be thought leaders, to be out there in this ever-changing landscape. Uh, but I would say the digital transformation is never, is never really done. Uh, the other thing to add is when marketing and sales was put together, actually you came to see that, of course, you can't win, in our case, in e-commerce, whether it is an Amazon or whether it's a Walmart going into online, you can't win if you're just taking a look at it from a sales perspective and say, oh, that's digital sales. The only way to really win and make sure that consumers find you and love you and prefer you is to make sure that you create win in search, that you really make sure that you design products suited for that specific channel. So you really see that there's more overlap between marketing and sales coming up or that you have your pricing in order, that you have your price architecture in order, but also that jointly with our customers, whether they're bricks and mortars or e-commerce channels or the new social media, uh, that we actually grow categories. So yes, it's nice if our brands like Dove and Axe and all the other ones take share, but it's way more interesting if we get more people to use deodorants more often, that we get new people to use our innovations more often, because then everybody benefits. So I think that's the multi-stakeholder model where digital transformation can really be an enabler of. Absolutely, and Jeremy, while we're talking about transformations, uh, back in November when Netflix um, launched the ad-supported uh, platform, that was a pretty big transformation. You know this because I would call Ted uh, Sarandos over the years and say, Ted, I want to bring Unilever. I remember once I want to have them come and meet with you. And he said, Michael, I love you. I love Unilever. We're never going to accept advertising. I don't want to waste anybody's time. And here we are uh, in 2023. Here we are, 25 years later. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it was a huge transformation, obviously, for the company. But I think one of the things that's most important is customer choice, like we were talking about earlier, is not only do advertising does advertising enable brands like yourselves to be creative and reach all of these eye eyeballs that we have, but it also enables people to get into the t into Netflix at a lower price tier. And I think that's the world we're living in in the consistent transformation you're talking about, which is what is customer choice if Netflix was too expensive or you have 
a, you know, a number of people, whatever it may be, how can you come into a tier that is you know, essentially $6.99 in the US? Right. Um, and that we think is really moving incrementality um, in terms of member growth, uh, early days, of course, for the business, but it's been great so far and we're really happy with the progress. Well, the, the consumers are excited about it and I know the advertisers are as well. And I'm gonna come back to that because um, I wanna get uh, both Connie and Tim's reaction, but I wanna um, flip back to Tim on something. Tim, speaking of announcements, uh, and this isn't the first rodeo we've shared, uh, you made a pretty big splash at the start of the year with the Delta Sync Exclusives Club. Can you tell the audience about that announcement and how customers and consumers are responding to it? Sure, so uh, hopefully this room is, is well aware that in, uh, in January at CES Delta announced free Wi-Fi uh, on all of our planes, something that we had been working on for five years. Uh, and if you flew us five years ago, you would have experienced something that was not what we now have uh, available to you. The, the idea is not only free Wi-Fi, but through your engagement in Sync, uh, which is a platform, and, and we'll play a, a brief video here in a moment where Viola Davis will tell us much more about it than I will as I'm sitting here. But the concept is that travel historically was a means to an end in our mind, and we have an opportunity to create a more elevated experience by using and applying data that customers are freely willing to share as a result of getting something for that, a reciprocity. So by enrolling in SkyMiles, which is of course free, you gain access to uh, free Wi-Fi on, on Delta's flights, but that in turn allows us to gather information that is simply puts us in a better position to optimally serve you by virtue of knowing more uh, about you. And then bringing that to life across different elements, whether it's the digital in a handheld device, the screens in front of you. Uh, and if we could, maybe we could take a look at that quick video. We all travel for similar reasons, to experience, to explore, to connect. But the way we travel, well, that's different for everyone. And with Delta Sync, your future travel will be tailored to you. Your tastes, your connections, your curiosity, your favorites. Your Sky Miles membership. You. Because even if we're all on the same flight, we're not all going the same way. So we'll help you connect with what matters most to you. Introducing Delta Sync, where travel fits you perfectly. Whoa. Well, I, it was exciting to be part of that at CES, and it's equally as exciting to see it here uh, playing out live, Tim. Thank you for that. Um, I wanna come back to, to, to Jeremy for a second, but this is uh, for Connie and Tim. As marketers, and looking at the marketplace, and knowing that streaming seemed to be, and continues to be, the place where the eyeballs are going, uh, how are you looking at the ad-supported tiers, and, and how are you interacting with them currently, and what opportunities are you seeing this will be, of course, music to Jeremy's ears, so I want I you to- I hope so. Exactly. I mean, otherwise this is gonna be a tough Or, question. you know, out with you, but I doubt that. I doubt Personal that. Personal feedback, yeah. Yeah, do I kick it off? Please, um, Connie. 
Well, I think the first thing to say, uh, of course, we take a look at it globally. And I think the US and China are really running ahead in all of this. In the rest of the world, this is still very much maturing. So uh, we're starting with it. We're doing some pilots and we're seeing that it works. And uh, I think the uh, the reason why we love it um, is, first of all, indeed, it um, increases our reach. So uh, of people that normally you wouldn't be able to reach so easily. Secondly, it's more targeted reach, which is really important for us because then you can personalize the messages way better. There's an opportunity, hopefully at a certain stage, that we can watch and buy at the same time. So the commerce opportunity hopefully will come up. But even if that isn't the case yet, you can easily make sure that with consent that you can share the data so it gets even more targeted. And the third reason why I like it, it is, it is because there is a lot of premium content and no better way to connect our brands with premium content than doing it in this way. So there's several reasons why we really love it and want to experiment, see how it works, what works best. Um, and, um, and I think there is a way better opportunity to make it from a passive watching a television ad to a very active moment with QR codes, with getting involved with quizzes and all the opportunities that it will, will bring. So I'm truly excited by it. Can I stay in the pedal now? Yes, yes, <laughs> you can stay. Please. Uh, Tim? Well, I, I think Connie- Can we get a show of hands for Connie on yeah. that? that was <laughs> Yay, Connie. I think Kana used premium three times. It's the uh, it's the fastest growth area for Delta's products. You might find it interesting during COVID, uh, the the market growth for us was among premium market segments and premium products. So Delta One, Delta First, Sky Clubs, and things like that. And and so I couldn't agree more. Premium content draws premium market segments, draws uh, our ability to put the right types of messages and personalized and all the all the different aspects. So we're we're fans. I like how it all works together. I think if we were all on this stage ten years ago, it would be very very much, you know, this is a salesperson and this, these are marketers and so separate, but we're all saying the same thing, which is this premium. It's the depth of content, the depth of engagement that makes things interesting for marketers like the two of you. Um, and we all want the same thing, which is to reach customers in meaningful ways and to connect with culture, which streaming enables a lot to have happen. So loyalty is something that marketers talk about and certainly um, from a Netflix perspective, on the subscription models, and from a Delta perspective, on obviously the mileage programs and all the you know, things that create that loyalty. And from Unilever, you don't necessarily have frequent flyer circumstances, but that that brand loyalty is what you what you live with. Um, how do you define it? How do you define loyalty and membership? Go ahead, Tim. Well, we, we would say there's a little bit of elements of both. Our focus is more on membership. Um, frequent flyer programs were designed in the early 1980s when planes were 50% full. That world is not the world that we're living in now. But the, the foundational elements for us, a loyalty currency like SkyMiles, rewards and incents particular behaviors. But it, it, I think, is increasingly evident to Delta that it's really about membership because it's the level of engagement. It is the depth of the quality of the relationship. It isn't transactional in nature. There's certainly elements of it that are transactional. But when you really think about richness of, of brands living in your heart and your willingness to pay more for the brands that you love, that's not transactional per se as much as it's really a feeling of reciprocity that this thing that I am loyal to 
to is in fact loyal back. And in a service business, you need to know that in the form of an upgrade, or you need to know that when your status is recognized, or when there's a problem and, and a flight is delayed or, or even canceled that you are taking care of in a preferred way, perhaps faster than per others who don't necessarily demonstrate that loyalty. But I, I think for us as well, we're increasingly focusing on loyalty and membership and the benefits of both outside of travel. So you might have seen us do some things with Starbucks that have nothing to do with travel. We had over a million people link their Starbucks and uh, Delta SkyMiles accounts at over a 16-day period. We thought that was going to take us a year to do. So there's, there's a hunger for a currency that rewards loyalty, but it's really the richness of, of membership in our mind in, in the experience that you, uh, that you have on Delta. And Jeremy? Yeah, I'd say very similar. Uh, make sure that people just love what they are watching, what they're doing. Make sure that they come back. That breadth and depth I was talking about earlier is really important because you have to have this huge catalog full of a litany of content in order to get people to come back over and over and over and start with your service. Um, and I think that you know a lot of these things that we're talking about, we have had the opportunity to do. I don't know if any of you have seen Wednesday, but it was a pretty remarkable hit for us um, and creating those moments together. So when you think of some Something like like Wednesday, there was a famous little dance in there. I, you can do it. I'm probably not going to. Um, and and in that particular moment, it also went viral on TikTok. The dance and 26 billion views of that content. It just shows that people love it, and that's what's the most important. And and what's so interesting in the in the streamer world, you're hearing and you don't hear this about Netflix. And there's something to be said for that about people who are going in and out of their subscriptions based on what's available that month. And, and that's the loyalty that you don't want. That's, that's right. the, yeah. you know, you want them to stay in, in the months when there's not a new release. Yeah, and that's what the important thing is about having that breadth. They're not like, I got to the end of Netflix, although I had COVID three times and I might have gotten to the end of Netflix. But the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you re we're releasing new things, global content, the type of content that's resonating globally from places like Korea is really fascinating for us. Um, ironically, I was the one person on the panel that did not have a video until yesterday when we were prepping, but now I do, so I think we want to talk. I think this <laughs> yes. is a great cue for the yeah, video. That seems like the right thing to do. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, so I think, you know, these are, I hope when you watch all these clips that you, you resonate with them and that you feel like this has brought me joy. And now we can play the clip. You know that feeling when a show becomes your show? You're holding their pen like a knife again. This is vodka. Hey, listen, you want me sharp or what? The characters become your friends. <laughs> How many children are you friends with? Their drama becomes your drama. And just when you think it might be over, you fall in love all over again. dystopian hellscape is this? Okay, see, I know what I'm I doing for the next... I everybody saw one of their favorites in exactly. there. Exactly, exactly. So, guys, um, it, it, it's clear to me that every brand is seeking to deliver a more seamless, personalized experience. We, we've talked about it 
in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, Connie, I, I know the statistic is outdated, but I remember a time years ago when I was chatting with, uh, with your CEO, and we talked about the fact that at that time, one billion people a day were touching a Unilever product somewhere in the world. I know that number is probably three times that now, I would guess. Three billion. Three billion people a day touching that product. And, and you know, the ability to communicate with that consumer now is here. It, this really was a question that your two CEOs ago asked me a dozen years ago. He said, Michael, do we really need to pay attention to these social media things? This is probably close to 15 years ago. And my answer to Paul Pullman at that time was, well, yes, because I was trained that if you have an opportunity to have a dialogue with your consumer, you should. You now have an opportunity to have a dialogue with three billion consumers in some way, shape, or form in a personalized way. So I know that's something that's near and dear to you, and certainly, Tim, you talked about it relative to that experience. And Jeremy, um, again, it's personalized. That's what one of the unique aspects of Netflix was, because it will be suggesting things that I like that are personal to me. But Tim, first, how are you doing that to make each trip personal? I know we saw the video, but um, can you give me some highlights? Can you give us some highlights on that? Sure, and, and hopefully several of you in the room have, have experienced this. By virtue of you being in the SkyMiles program, we're able to track every city that you've traveled through, the experiences that you've had. So how many of your last 10 flights were on time? How many arrived early? Were any of them delayed? Was a bag, uh, we say misdirected, bags are never lost on Delta. We'll find them eventually. They're, they're temporarily misdirected. <laughs> Um, you know, we're, was I love plane. the usually, I love I love the use of words. It's perfect. Um, and so, by virtue of you trusting us to enroll in the Sky Miles program, and again getting free Wi-Fi, but our applied use of the data, it's one thing if the Sky Miles program and the marketing people know that information, right? But what matters more is the flight attendant who's on your plane, who's actually able to give you a free drink, or to apologize, or to recognize when you crossed over into two million miler status. Um, and, and so, what we've been doing and focusing on is taking the knowledge and the information that we have on each of our customers, again, through a free flow and a level of engagement that customers find value in, because it certainly just positions us to better serve you uh, and push that out. So our pilots all have digital devices, our flight attendants, our reservation sales agents, and um, for the good or the bad in, in a circumstance where there's irregular operations or weather or things like that, again, what matters is in the moment, are we able to optimally serve you and to meet the needs that you may have in that moment or to recognize you to top off what is uh, a great experience. And it's funny, Michael was just asking about social media. I can remember in, in my time at Delta, there was a time when 70% of people who posted on social media were on a honeymoon or saying, I love you, Delta. And we did not have the staff to engage in those. Imagine somebody putting in social media, I love you, Delta, and hearing nothing back. Right, and that's what was true for I us. I told my wife I loved ago. her the first time, and she didn't respond for a few weeks. So, and that's true. That's a different and, issue. And that's I understood a... then that com the uh, definition of a dangling participle. Yeah. It was. Yeah, reciprocity, obviously, you know, and unrequited love is is not a recipe for a strong brand relationship. We're so married for forty nine years. Yeah, so no, it you're doing out. very well. What's the end part? of the story? <laughs> um, Connie, switching gears. Yeah, one of one of the because uh, I'll just get in trouble if I don't switch gears now. Um, Connie, one of the growing areas of our, of our uh, 
ecosystem is retail media. And just for our audience's benefit, and this is something Jeremy uh, certainly understands having uh, spent a lot of time at Amazon, um, retail media is now an area that the projection is by 2025, I believe, will be a $100 billion sector of the media and advertising uh, ecosystem and representing about 12% of media spend. Now, and I think that's a domestic number. Maybe it's a global number, so I, I don't, don't hold me to that. But it, either way, it's a very important number. How is that changing you know, your marketing mix? Because now you have that ability to be as close to the consumer. And what was that expression that FMCG uses, FMOT? Was it first moment, final moment of truth? You know, the final moment of truth or that first moment of truth is now in a different place in a different time in retail media. So. Yeah, I think um, good question, and it builds a bit on what Tim, what you were saying is um, in FMCG, uh, you normally don't have the last mile. So you work together with your retail partners to also see if a purchase intent is a real purchase decision in the end. Uh, and retail media is in it. It's big. It's booming. It will become probably more than uh, than the twelve percent being mentioned. So we need to take it very seriously. For us, it is a critical moment of interaction because it's the moment that people make a definite choice. Um, and it's also a moment- On that digital shelf. On that digital shelf, which used to be, and still is for a majority of uh, moments, in supermarkets, in bricks and mortars, or in mini markets. So you're standing in front of a shelf, you take a decision which brand to take for a specific category that you want to buy. Now that is happening more online, Still, in the past, we did a lot of effort to stand out in shelf with promotions, innovations, have displays, and that is now transferred to the online world, where there is an equally important moment what for us. What we used to call shopper marketing in some Shopper fact, marketing, right. customer marketing, indeed. And now you see that that is transferred to online, where people are making quicker decisions, but at times are also more interested in browsing a bit on the different features of different products. So for us, it is a really important part of our media mix, there's a couple of challenges and opportunities that come with it. Firstly, I think there's a lot of education we still need to do to our retailers and uh, probably not the online first ones, but the offline ones who went online. If you want to be treated as a serious media partner, you also need to give us the data, the transparency, the return on investments that other media partners can give us. So that is one thing to do. And secondly, from a branding perspective, we don't want our advertising to be dull and transactional and two for the price for one uh, type of ad uh, entertainment, because that isn't really entertainment. And what we really want, and that's why I started this conversation with the creative commerce revolution, is there needs to be a lot more creativity in that. The creativity that we used to have when we watched long videos, whether it was on television, uh, whether it is now on YouTube or in any other device, we would want to see that on retailer media as well, because that increases not only uh, the entertainment value of shopping, but also it increases our ability to not only convert to sales, but build brands at the same time. So it's a hugely interesting area. It's booming. It is where a lot of capabilities still need to be built, but I, it is certainly one of the future fit moments for FMCG. Well, and, and speaking of that, that first party data is such an important aspect of it. Jeremy, you're in a situation where Netflix is a treasure trove of data, obviously, because of how you can judge people's viewing habits and, 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 and all of that. And, and I say all of that, I don't mean to minimize it, it's a critically important part of the mix. But 
now that you're selling advertising at Netflix, how is that data supporting that, and how is that being, you know, received by the by the marketing community, by the brands and the agencies? Yeah, you you spoke about it earlier when you talked about the recommendation engine. It is extraordinary that Netflix can find the show that you want to watch when you want to watch it, especially with that uh, large catalog that we have. And I think we are very, you know, we're really early days. We're at 15s and 30s right now. The service has only been live since November. But when we think about the future of it, I think what you're talking about is the most important thing, which is if we can find the right show or film for you in the right moment, then we certainly should be able to find the right ad for you in the right moment. And it's important for us to be able to treat our advertising the same way that we treat our content, which is this should be a joyous experience at the right time for the right person. Um, and fortunately, we have a lot of those capabilities from the 25 years of history. And I think beyond that, um, the, the marketing community is really eager for that part. And I would say that's been a, a really interesting short journey so far is that we did launch very, very quickly between Microsoft and Netflix. The team put it all together in six months. And so day one, marketers were like, okay, let me use this data, let me do this thing. And it's, you know, we're not, we're not there yet, but I think we, we know that we have the opportunity to do that. We can use data to inform where commercial should even go in a lot of this programming, which I think will be really important and interesting over time. We aren't you, know, you very rarely get a blank slate, and we have one, and we don't. We're not, it's not predicated on okay every 15 minutes and only X and what's the right ad, you know so we can do what's the right ad load and um, so it's just really exciting blank slate to have. Well, it's 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 the new frontier because as you and I have spoken, uh, the, the opportunity for you as you develop it further and granted five months is just the beginning. But as you develop it further, the opportunities are so robust in terms of what advertising can look like in the medium. It doesn't have to look like it's looked traditionally. Right. And, and look, the, the, the funny thing for me is the inextricable link that's always, always existed between the delivery of content and marketing messages supporting it isn't new. It's called radio and television right. and magazines. Soap operas. Yeah, and you know, they're, they're, this is not a new phenomenon. It's just the opportunity to reimagine it that's exciting. And 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 look, um, I think it's fair to say that you know more than ever, brands are showing up and engaging with consumers in these new environments and these new channels. Um, let's talk about the role of content creators and and and. You know, let me just kind of lay down a fact here. I, I had the good fortune of uh, transacting with MediaLink a couple of times, and most recently, 15 months ago, we joined with United Talent Agency, which was a change uh, for MediaLink. And one of the drivers for that was our acknowledgement of the importance of the creator economy and the importance of content and the importance of, um, you know, using content in a different way, Connie, as you're talking about relative to commerce. And so I'm gonna do something, Jeremy knows this, because I've, I've done this with Jeremy once before and she knows exactly where I'm going. I'm gonna lay down a few words. None of this was in our, in our script, guys, so here you go. But I'm gonna lay down some words and I call them the media link T's and C's. Okay, the media link T's and C's coincidentally are 10 words and Five of them began with the letter T and five with the letter C. So it just worked out that way. Let me start with the T words. Trust, transparency, talent, technology, and transformation. You'll be tested on that shortly, so try and remember those. And the C words are content, and they've all been mentioned, commerce, curation, community, and creativity. 
And those to me are words that if we were in the position of having to start a conversation in our industry, those words would, any one of them could be a good conversation starter or a good topic sentence. So when we think about that, um, you, Connie, Unilever just released a study on, on um, content creators that hold the most power to drive. Can you talk a little bit about that and how content played into it? And then I'll come back on the T's and C's. Um, yeah, thanks, Michael. I think um, uh, for the ones who know Unilever well, it is a company that has sustainability in its DNA. And uh, our mission and our dream and our vision is to um, uh, to create a world where uh, sustainable living is commonplace. So what we wanted to see is how content creators can help drive sustainability. Because one thing is for certain, this world will never become a better place, a better planet or a better society if we leave it only to the businesses, NGOs and government. It takes all of us to engage. So, And we are all consumers. Now, if we do research, we often find that uh, every one of us finds it confusing, it's difficult. How do I choose between all the options I've got? And I know that little changes can have a big impact, but how do I make those changes? I don't have the information at hand. So we were bothered by the fact that how do we now bring this education material best to consumers? And the good thing to know is that indeed, as you said, and thanks for the advice to Paul Pullman 15 years ago, social media is seen to be critical in this. So 78% of consumers tell us, independent of age, independent of country, that they would love to have more information via social media. And then we found out that actually it doesn't matter if that information is branded or unbranded, and whether that information from a sustainability perspective is doom and gloom, and if we don't act now, we end up in the biggest crisis manhood has ever seen, or whether it is more pragmatic, positive actions you can take today to change for tomorrow. So I think there's a wealth of opportunity uh, and content creators play a really critical role in it because they authentically can create a content that suits them and help in educating it, making information more available and really make sure that in the end we can create a better society and a better planet by using the information that is available, by continuing to elevate science and make it simple and preferred for people to look at, and using social media to really make sure that this information is at the fingertips of everyone. So I was really positively pleased to see this, that how important the TikToks, the Instagrams, the, the social media channels are that we have available also for more serious things that we want to accomplish. And the beauty is that um, if ever you've watched, for instance, in Hellman's ad lately, where Hellman has gone on the journey of, uh, of making taste, not waste, um, and that food waste is one of the serious issues we need to tackle, is that basically you also see it doesn't need to be all serious. You can do it with a bit of a laugh and make sure that people also engage with humor to really make sure that we tackle the most important issues that this generation needs to tackle. And, and Tim, thank you for that, Connie. And it's, it's so important because the, the commitment to sustainability affects us all, obviously. And, and Unilever has been a leader in this area for so long. Tim, from, from a Delta perspective, how are you engaging with the content creators and looking at, you know, at, through that lens at how you're driving commerce in the same way? I mean, obviously. 
Yeah, the, so it, it's, it's interesting because, first of all, I thought the 10 words were great. Uh, the first being trust uh, gets to Connie's point around authenticity, um, whether it's with sustainability or any topic. I, I think the superficiality that is evident in a lot of what is out there um, is obviously something that brands should try to avoid and, and seek instead the, the rich relationship viewers, consumers, uh, followers of different content creators create. Um, and it, the 10th the word I think you said was creativity. Um, I, I can't think of a better first or 10th word because the concept that, that great ideas are only going to come from one place, whether that's an ad agency or whether that's creative houses within uh, firms, uh, my team hears me say often none of us is as smart as all of us. Um, and when I'll just go to diversity since Connie touched on sustainability. We, we did a program called Faces of Travel where we looked out at the imagery that is evident in the vast majority of, of travel advertising or travel just imagery in general. And what we saw did not reflect the world that we see and serve every single day, the rich diversity that is out. And, and we'd like to believe that nobody better connects the world. Well, you can't connect the world if you don't first reflect the world. So we embarked on a program called Faces of Travel where we actually shot images and then made them widely available to do more to try to get this more representative sense of what is actually taking place in travel, that there's not a homogeneity of that. There is a great, rich diversity. Um, and that's what makes the world fun and, and interesting to go out and, and see that. But that was a kind of a glaring example where left to our own devices over years, if not decades, the travel industry had an opportunity to do more. And, and content creators are, are so similar in the sense that they're agile, they're nimble, they're able to recognize something and do it in that moment. Uh, which again, I think brands, to the extent that it's trustworthy, it's authentic, there, there's, there's a richness to that, that um, great ideas should and, and do come from anywhere. Well, um, I want to flip because I want to leave some time um, for some Q&A for our, our audience, but let's chat for a moment about Web3. Um, all of your brands are living somewhere in the metaverse, and how did you decide and how did you dip your toe? And Connie, I know we want to kind of roll a, a video, so maybe we roll the video so we can flip uh, uh, to the audience Q&A. Yeah, perfect. So uh, uh, one second of introduction. Yes, we're piloting in the metaverse, in Web3. We've got several brands participating in different kind of ways, but I brought a video of Dove, uh, one of the best-known brands here in the US, and they tackled the issue of uh, portrayal of women in gaming. And let's take a look at the video. Thank you. Había dos personajes, mujeres, nada más. Los dos eran dos personajes super sexualizados, Y nada, eran las dos opciones que tenía para, para elegir. You are not there. You don't exist. The things are not made for you. I don't look like that. Not everyone looks like that. We should really show everybody that who we really are as people, and we should all get like have a chance. A character that looks like me in a video game and be like, yo, this baby's fire. <laughs> there are thousands of skins available to choose from. But finally, one that looks like mine. Oh, I look so badass. 
It's not only about self-esteem, it's about what you can or cannot do with your life. Ay, no, 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 me muero, that. We are different. It's beautiful, I think it's, it's a dream. <laughs> Is there anything more powerful than being a legend? Yes, being real. We, that we are unique, beautiful, and brave, and that we should be able to play the game. Connie, I think it's fair to say uh, Dove with the Campaign for Real Women, which is now plus or minus 20 plus years old, was not just a great marketing campaign, it really changed culture. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's one of the brands that we're hugely proud of. And I think what you can see here, if you've got a strong idea uh, and that you're continuously supporting, but also then taking on new challenges, it will live for the coming 100 years. Wow. So. Lots of challenges still to do. The Crown Act is a beautiful one here as well, but I'm really proud of the work that we're right. doing with Dove in gaming space as well. Thank you. It means the world, thank you. Uh, I, I do wanna now turn it over. We've got a shortened period for questions because we went over our time, but uh, I know there's some questions that I should be able to see on this uh, monitor here. Uh, Connie, first one is for you. You mentioned the creative commerce evolution. Can you expand upon how brands ought to be thinking about it? Um, well, I hope that during the conversation a couple of examples came up. Uh, what it never changes is that every brand needs to really make sure that they are clear about what it stands for and what the big idea is. And then you can express it in hundred thousands of ways, uh, depending on the channel that you look at, depending on the time that you live in. And I think the creative commerce revolution for me is we ought to now not only think about um, in commerce about converting to sales, but really using it as an opportunity to build a brand too. And that all starts with having a big idea and being very creative and being basically unmissable whenever you go and shop. So um, we've got a marketing philosophy that says, get real, do good, be unmissable. Um, and these three things count as much as for traditional television, if, we w if it were still to exist as it does for the commerce revolution. So I think this is a question, uh, I wanted to go back on the screen for a moment, please. There was a question on the previous screen, if you could go back. Um, okay, I guess we can't. What kind of value does Netflix and Delta place on social media and how do you measure ROI for it? I will turn that to you because I am not on the marketing side. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys may recall during COVID, there was a variant called Delta, the Delta variant. and. Um, <laughs> Short of being the yes, corona I did get that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Short of being the Corona beer people, uh, being at, at Delta, we were very happy, by the way, when the uh, BA variant came out afterwards. So, um, 
although Delta seemed to be in the news quite longer, uh, or quite much long. But there, there was a wonderful little girl whose name was Delta, and we came across a story in social media that she did not like her name because of the pejorative nature of what was being portrayed in the media around the Delta variant, and that that, that was somehow negative. Um, and, and so in answer to the question, I mean, I, I think it was said earlier, people are out there having conversations about our brands, whether we're in them or not. And what we've actively chosen is to try to be in them and, and to try to help, because most of the service recovery requests we get in terms of the speed is somebody who's at a gate who's saying, here's the experience I'm having. And so we have active listening in, I think it's 12 different languages, 24-7 around the world, where we're actually looking for people experiencing problems. We certainly love the somebody saying, I love you, Delta, but we're actually using it as a service channel. Uh, so we place an enormous value on it for the fact that people are raising their hands in these channels saying, I need help, and I'm not going to call a call center, and the line of people in front of me may be longer than, than I would choose to engage in. So uh, as an example, you can take something negative in that case. I, I don't think I completed the story. We sent her a number of Delta items and said, we love your name. And that then uh, got a lot of social media pickup as, as well. Swag is a good thing. Yeah, always. always I can, I, and I can answer some of it. I didn't mean to totally skip the question. But I think that that love of the IP itself and how important that is for our creator community, which is our everything, um, is really important. So I used the example from Wednesday with the 26 billion views of the dance on TikTok. But that keeps things in culture a lot longer. And social media is critical to that, especially in a binge environment where it's you know today and then over or whatever it may be. Um, to keep that in the zeitgeist over time with social media is, is business critical. Absolutely. The question that I had wanted to go back to is here, so let me grab it. Uh, the question is, uh, as a consumer, I appreciate personalization, but I also worry about my privacy. How do you handle these opposite interests? Well, I think it's a really critical one, a great question, and we never got to really talk about it in this panel, but this is a of keen interest to us as well. So first of all, it always starts with consent. So we really need to make sure that we take consent seriously if we want to use your data. Secondly, of course, you see legislation coming up. Uh, so the GDPR in Europe, it's finding its way across the whole world, which I think is a really, really good thing. Because what it also does, it makes us use the data. So if you are collecting data, you always need to ask yourself the question, why do I need that data? And there's lots of data that we sort of gathered in the beginning days of, of uh, getting and collecting data that actually you don't really need. So think first, what is the data that I really need and how am I going to use it, I think is already a good barrier. And then thirdly, there's a lot of self-regulation in this space as well. So advertisers coming together, making sure that we have responsible media guidelines that we really use. And because there's only one moment that you destroy the trust, one of the T's that you mentioned mentioned, Michael, is if you use the data and uh, you destroy the trust of your consumer, it will take 10 years to get it back. So we take it very seriously, and I'm happy to say not only Unilever does, but the industry does, and I think that's only right. We ought to not need regulators to do this for us. I think this is an area where self-regulation ought to play a big role, but if there's a GDPR-like coming at us, I think that is only tribute to the, the fact that we see and uh, handle our consumers seriously and that privacy is a serious matter. Tim? Oh, I agree completely. It's your data, right? It's yours. It's not ours. Uh, and so trust, 
um, and, and protection of that. For us, you know, if we misuse that or lack uh, being deserving of your trust, you would opt out, uh, and we would lose every ability to remain in close contact with you and, and to, in our intent, better serve you. But we never lose sight of the fact that it's your data, and, and I agree with everything Connie just shared. Uh, I do think it's it's increasingly the industry that is on top of this. It's left uh, increasingly to sources and, and people who understand the the importance of this. And it's it's interesting for us and instructive to watch Europe because I think it's a much more intense and acute issue in Europe, and understandably so. And we have a lot to learn uh, from that. But uh, it's an excellent question, and it, it's one I think the industry and, and we as companies and brands will will continue to be doing our best to be deserving of your trust. So I, I want to grab this question and I'm going to ask Jeremy to answer this from the other side of the table. Um, it, the question is, with so many new capabilities for every marketing professional to develop, how to keep up without losing focus? So first, obviously, that would be a question for Tim and Connie, but I'm going to ask you that question, Jeremy, because you're across the table, and I don't mean that literally, but you, you're watching how the marketing professionals are morphing because you're interacting with them in a buyer-seller relationship effectively. Hopefully it's not that transactional, but, but, but you know, just kind of laying it down that way. Are you seeing a difference in the capabilities of the marketers that you're interacting with? Yes, absolutely. And I talk about this all the time in my regular life when young people ask about getting into marketing or advertising and you know, how do I do it? What should my major be? And I've been doing this a little over 20 years, give or take. And uh, I think, you know, at the beginning it would be like, just be creative and be fun and be smart. And you kind of had these nebulous words. And now it is like, you must be in extraordinarily intelligent. You must be data-driven. You must be willing to change. I think the, thing, the people in the industry that are getting left behind are the people that are thinking about it in that 10-year-old capacity, not utilizing data in smart ways necessarily. Or if you just think of the 10 years, and we've talked about a lot of them here, but retail media is new, streaming is new, Social media is largely new. Uh, all these metaverse is new. We could do the augmented reality advertising is new. It's just an everyday insatiable need for knowledge, entertainment, and not entertainment, knowledge engagement, and then just ensuring that you know everything that's going on. It is a highly technical job, and I don't think it used to be as technical. Connie? But if you really get lost, <laughs> because there's so much going on, and that we saw in our company as well, is that, and that's why I quickly mention it, always go back to what are the three principles of marketing. First, get real. Make sure you know what consumers are doing, thinking, wishing for, what are their needs. And you can use data now a lot more, but never use empathy. Then the second one is do good. What are the trends in the world? What are the things that your brand can really... Uh, contribute to and make a slight change to. And then the third one is be unmissable, whether it is in Web3, whether it is on traditional television, whether it is in retail media, make sure you have talkable content and that you stand out in culture. Um, so if it all gets overwhelming, these three things ought to guide you on a daily basis. Get real, do good, and be unmissable. Tim? I'd only add, these are both great answers. I'd, I'd add invite accountability. Um, learn exactly what it is your organization is after and, and invite that accountability for those those outcomes. What's interesting about the blurring of all the things we're talking about here is whether it's commerce and it's not, mar or it's marketing and sales or it's, it's business 
outcomes. And of course, absolutely staying close to the customer because they're the ones with the money that we're seeking as brands and as businesses. Uh, but I think what the because of data and because of all of the knowledge that enterprises now gather, the days of, oh, I liked that TV commercial are just that's just meaningless right now. It's irrelevant. It is literally what degree of accountability can we as marketing or marketing organizations or communications or sales or commerce, what can we bring uh, to that, that enterprise? Because it's in our areas that growth for these enterprises comes. It's where we are typically asked to help with this problem or help deal with that, that shortfall or a brand that, that is in need of, of help. So, you know, I, I think it, it is. It's more than we've ever dealt with. It makes your head want to explode when you think about all the things you just rattled off. And, and yet we are dealing with all that every day. It's interesting. And I will give credit to Unilever for this. And I mentioned it earlier. We did one of those early digital journeys, as I said. And Unilever was the first company that I saw involve on a marketing journey uh, the chief information officer at that time. And then others followed suit. But the idea was... As, as, and as long ago as 13 years, there was an acknowledgement at Unilever that the chief marketing officer role, as it previously was called, uh, and the chief technology or chief information officer role were becoming more uh, aligned. And the idea was the marketing side would be making more technology decisions than ever, and the technology side would be making more marketing decisions than ever as the two came together. And this was an interesting way that it, it um, manifested itself. We were working with Salesforce and Mark Benioff, as they made the investments in the marketing cloud, realized that he had built a company initially on cloud computing, selling to the CTO or CIO, and now the marketing cloud, he was going to have to be selling to the chief marketing officer. And how did he realign his Salesforce at Salesforce to do that? Because you have to have a whole different set of you know, responsibilities and knowledge now as that digital journey has continued. So I know it's a challenge, but the idea of being able to stay up to date on it is also the opportunity. What we said kind of tongue in cheek back then, the person with the pocket protector and the person with the pocket square are gonna become one. So you kind of mixed and matched. And at a kind of a technology audience, I think that probably should have got more of a laugh than it did here. Come on guys, that was, this is funny shit up here. This is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to bring you the A stuff. Um, I, guys, I, I, we're at the end, and some of these questions that still remain on the screen are really interesting, but I think we've touched on so many of them because we talked about purpose and the environment that demands authenticity. Um, the idea of future trends, I think we've talked about. I, I just like to say, if we are back here, if we're fortunate enough to be invited back five years from now, just a lightning round. Do you think we'll be talking about anything that's remotely different, or do you think we'll just be talking about further manifestations of the stuff we've laid down today? I think we will be talking about a lot of different things and some of the same things. And the way that I think about that is the industry will change. We just talked a lot about how that will be, but there are some things that will never change. And for us, we are here to entertain the world, and that will be true in five years and hopefully in perpetuity. Well, you're doing a hell of a job of it now, Jeremy, <laughs> so I thank you for that. Tim? 
I agree completely. My bet would be more of things that we're not talking about than that we are. Uh, but the discipline itself and the way brands, again, reside in your head and in your heart, that's not going to change or what we do to manage those. Uh, but, but I mean, the technology alone and the acceleration of that would just suggest it's going to be more than 50%, something we're not even thinking about right now. And Connie, finally? Completely agree with Tim and Jeremy. Um, and I think that's why we're so lucky to be in this industry. Isn't change exciting? So uh, I'm really looking forward to five years uh, from now, be sitting here and talking about the newest things. So thank you very much. Exactly. I want to thank Connie, Tim, and Jeremy for a really interesting conversation. I want to thank all of you. Uh, we covered a lot of space, and I appreciate it.